Man, amen. You guys can grab a seat. And uh, man, I'm so, um, so thankful, um, thankful to uh, the Lord for his consistency and his faithfulness. I'm thankful for um, you making it a priority to join us this morning. And uh, I'm just thankful for this time together. I, I don't know about you, uh, but, but, but I need this. Like I need this time regularly, um, weekly, just to um, what, what happens when God's people come together when we are, are rightly putting Jesus at the center is it allows us uh, to sort of come in from the storm and the craziness of, of life and just for a moment uh, together, just to, just to recenter our lives on the kingdom of God, to, to, to bring every aspect of our life under and um, within the confines of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's only there that we really find uh, a safety for our lives and for our hearts. And uh, I'm just excited for this time in God's Word because um, I, I, love, um, I love summaries. I, I love themes that, that, that tend to emerge when you kind of step back from looking at something intently and, and sort of step back and see sort of the beauty of it. Um, this morning, I brought this up um, because around our house, um, a lot of quilts get made, and uh, not by me, okay? I know that's surprising and shocking to so many of you. I, I know when you've, many of you have met me, you're like, I'm sure he makes quilts. Um, this is uh, uh, made by my mother-in-law, Mary, who makes a lot of these, and uh, one of the things you know about a quilt is, is that um, if you look at each individual piece of it, it's um, you know, just a, a random piece of material, and then within that, there's the specific stitching that sort of holds it all together. But to really understand the beauty of a quilt is not to look at the individual pieces. The individual pieces can actually get a little boring because it would just be like, oh, there's a bunch of gray or there's a bunch of um, you know, this blue color. But when it all gets together and you see it, it can become something more beautiful. And, and what I love is, is that um, what we've been doing in this series, like we do anytime we walk through a book of the Bible, is we've spent time focusing on one individual little portion or passage of Scripture. And, and maybe we've identified some of the stitching that we see playing out in that little part or that little passage. And, and what we decided to do in, in the end of this series, because of how long we've spent in this series, 43 messages in the book of Acts. And uh, what we decided to do is, from time to time, there is something beautiful about stepping back from the individual pieces and going, man, there's a theme to this. Like, you never notice it when you're right in here to know that everything sort of balances itself with the colors and with the patterns and with the stitching and... So in this message and in next week's message, we just want to step back from all of the specific details and just look at the major themes that have been playing themselves out during this entire series. Some of you who may have been coming to our church uh, more recently might be like, oh man, I might need to go back and look through some of these messages. There might be something that's encouraging for me. Some of you are going to look back and having been with us the entire time, going to have a sense of awe at what God's been teaching us and the timeliness of how God's been teaching it. And, uh, and so Acts, um, for those of you who don't know, just a little bit of a review, is Luke's, uh, the uh, Apostle Luke's narrative account led by the Holy Spirit, 
breathed out by God of the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. And we want to look at the whole because we want to just, before we step into something else, we want to just take a look for a second and go, is, has my life come underneath the themes of the book of Acts? Has our church, that's next week, come under some of the themes that we've learned together? It's a bit of a review. It's a bit of a check of our hearts just to say, hey, how has this impacted our lives? And so first, um, I tried to summarize what I believe is the overarching theme of the book of Acts for us personally. And here's the big idea that I believe sort of uh, runs through all of it. God's mission requires everything Christ offers and everything I have to give. God's mission requires everything Christ offers and everything I have to give. And there's four themes from the book of Acts that I want us to see this morning and reflect on that I believe were the most dominant themes. And I want us to ask the question this morning, has this individually in my life struck my heart, changed the way I'm thinking, and I'm just going to put some of that in front of us this morning, okay? So the first theme that we see throughout the book is to envelop your entire life in the person and work of Christ. Envelop your entire life in the person and work of Christ. That, that word envelop without the E is the um, verb form of envelop. It, it carries the idea just like an envelope holds your letter and fully encloses it. Envelop is the idea of being fully enclosed, completely and totally enveloped in the person and the work of Christ. And if we remember how many times we saw this as the testimony of God's people in Acts. Chapter 1, verse 11 taken up from you into heaven, referring to Jesus, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the people are enveloped in the person and work of Christ fundamentally because he's going to return. And, and so, so every part of our life is spent sort of moving forward his mission, but also knowing that at any point he can re-enter human history and bring it to a conclusion. So we in enveloping our lives, we're preparing for his return. We're focusing our life, not on this life, but on eternity. How much we've needed that truth in our lives in this past year. Chapter 2, verse 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, whom you crucified. So what we, what we found in Acts is that in Acts, there was this constant communication that Hey, this gospel, what Jesus has done, was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So what do I want to envelop my life in? I don't know about you, but if I know that it is the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, I think that's where I want to move. And then chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the of Jesus Christ, or the Jesus Christ, that's a mistype, it's not, the the is not there, but um, the Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's what we have in this passage is a picture of what it looks like for my life and for your life to be enveloped in the person and work of Christ. Repent, repentance, baptism, being forgiven, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
are all parts of my life being fully enveloped. And, and what happened as a result of this in Acts is, is that um, as people's lives were enveloped in the person and work of Christ, they started to take notice. Do you remember some of the references? Um, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, they, they saw the disciples and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were like, hmm, there, there's something about their life that comes from them having been with Jesus. Now, recognize that what this showcases, it showcases an intimacy with God, a relational closeness. Then, uh, chapter 11, verse 26, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So now in Acts, what you have at this point is people are, are watching their life and they're saying, you know what? They look like Christ. They're, they're living in the likeness of Christ that there's something about their life that seems to be reflecting his nature increasingly. It was there in Antioch where they first called them Christians. That shows that not just that there's a relational proximity, but now there's a likeness to Christ. Chapter 9, verse 2 is the first reference where we hear the Christians talked about collectively as the way. It's referenced five more times throughout Acts. And here we get an observation that um, the, the, the Christians, the followers of Christ, they, they had a direction that they were going, right? That, uh, there was something about Jesus that wasn't just, it wasn't just some moment where they had an interaction or encounter with God, but it was actually impacting their way, their steps. It wasn't just a part of their life, but it was transforming the entirety of their life. Intimacy with God, becoming like him, and following his way are again pictures from Acts that, that carry this idea of being enveloped. See, um, to use this again, um, envelop is an idea in the person of work of Christ that uh, what the gospel is supposed to do, what, what Jesus is supposed to do is not just envelop a portion of your life. It's not like, oh, I, you know, I, I have this part of my life that is enveloped in the person and work of Christ, but I've got a whole lot of freedom over here to sort of do whatever I want, right? This is the way uh, many uh, uh, Christians um, or supposed Christians live. They're like, well, I've got that part of my life enveloped in the person and work of Christ, but I'm sort of free to kind of do whatever I want. The idea of envelop, both repentance and baptism, um, being forgiven by Christ and walking underneath that forgiveness, um, all of it. Um, this idea is to have my entire life enveloped under the person and work of Christ. That there is actually becomes no part of me recognizable that when I envelop my life in the person and work of Christ, now no longer do you really see me. It's the idea in Galatians uh, where it says, um, that I have been crucified with Christ, that I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me, and I live my life by faith in the Son of God. And, and this enveloping has been the message that's been coming through Acts again and again and again. It's, it's, this, it's this call to passionately pursue anything that supports or encourages the enveloping of my life in the person and work of Christ. I believe 
so many of you are here this morning because the, the longing of your heart is, man, I, I want my life fully enveloped in the person and work of Christ. Maybe some of you are here this morning, like happens in my life some weeks where I'm like, you know what? I've said some things this week. I've gone to some places this week. I've done some things this week that I know were outside the bounds of being enveloped in the person and work of Christ. And what I'm wanting, what my heart's longing for is to come into this place and to recenter my life under being enveloped in under the person and work of Christ. And so church, this is why you're gonna hear so many times um, a call to be have a passion to open God's word and, and let the word speak over our lives, that, that there's this aspect of, I want my life enveloped under the person work of Christ. So I'm, I'm studying God's word for myself so that, so that it will lead me to a place where I know more of who God is, that I'm studying God's word to know God's God in all of his glory. It's, it's, it's why there is just no substitute for our hearts being awakened to prayer so that we can draw near to God. There's no substitute for pursuing a vibrant, consistent relationship with Christ. In all of these things, we envelop our life in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That theme is so consistent throughout Acts. Envelop your life, entire life, in the person and work of Christ. God's mission requires everything Christ offers and everything I have to give. That's the first theme. The second theme is this. Eliminate all competing missions. Eliminate all competing missions. During this series, I'm not a coincidence, just, just say out loud, not a coincidence. Not a coincidence that during this series, there has been more distracting noise in our world than I have ever witnessed in one season at one time. More argumentativeness, unfortunately and sadly, more divisiveness, more gossip, more false assumptions, more anxiety, more fear. And I hear you. And I would be lying if I said to you that in my life, in my home, in my heart, in my family's heart, there hasn't been a level of feeling that, feeling that in our souls and in our minds. It's really been overwhelming. And uh, this series has been providentially perfect. Uh, every week, in, in one way or another, in my own study and then in communicating God's word to this church, the Lord has been reinforcing again and again one mission, just one mission, one mission, so many missions, so many things we can grab hold of and try to fulfill, but one mission, make disciples of all nations that love God and love others. Just, just, just stay there, just stay there. But, 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 but God, I'm, I'm sure there's other things that I, I need to focus on. And certainly there's been other things I've been told I should focus on promise you. I, I should speak on that subject. I, I, I should lead us through it. Shh. That's been the work of God's Spirit through this series. 
through this book of the Bible. But everyone's so fired up about this subject. They're, they're parading in social media with an ignorance of what it looks like to actually lead within the context of the church, saying that the real evangelical pastors will speak on this subject if they have courage. Oh man, I, maybe I should. And God's Spirit's just been like, shh, Stay on what I've put in front of you. So many times, so many times. Right now, God has said again and again, I have you focused here. Eliminate all competing missions. It's so clear in Acts, Acts 2.36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain Okay, in, in the midst of the, the craziness of our world and our life, it is awesome when you get to something that God's word says is certain, certain. Certain that God made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's Lord over all. He's in control. Not anybody in this world is under control. It's all completely under his control, and I'm gonna rest there. In addition, he's the Messiah. He is the Christ. I spent an entire message talking about how Jesus is the Christ because of the joy and the peace that comes from recognizing this, and it eliminates all competing missions. Then, chapter 4, 11, and 12, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, which anyone who knows, like when we studied that passage, the cornerstone is the foundational block in a building being built. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This passage is together in those two verses. One of the most convincing passages of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ in all of the Bible. And we walked through it right in this season. That he's the foundation of everything God wants to build. He's the foundation. Salvation in no one else, no other name, under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. No other message matters as much. Why? Why has individual believers gotten so drawn away from this truth into so many other things and wasted an immeasurable amount of time, myself included, in chasing other missions. When this one is the cornerstone and there's salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, why? Why would I focus on another mission? Eliminate all competing missions. Two weeks ago, Amy and I, after church, uh, my wife and I, we, we left to go on um, what has been uh, sort of a regular routine, except for I had COVID last year and wasn't able to go. But um, on uh, GCC puts on this senior pastor and wives retreat. And uh, so we were in Florida and gathered together with, there was over 80 other ministry couples. And, and I would be, uh, to be totally transparent, I mean, you get, you get 80 um, you know, senior pastors and their wives uh, together. There's some really geeky conversations, okay? That for sure happens. 
and there is a lot of um, sharing about what's going on in each other's uh, churches that are playing out really around the world now, both in United States, Canada, and some international churches. And um, there was also a tremendous amount of heartbreak. And just the weight of leading through this season, just wearying to so many. And, and, and I, in these moments, I, I just love to make observations and I, I love to learn from one another. And um, here's a, a major theme that came forth in that week that I had with some of some dear friends is this. Churches that held to the mission of making disciples of Christ. They, they kept that at the center of their focus. Those churches thrived. Those churches thrived. Other moves led to um, instability, division, and dissension. Some men found that they had bigger churches at the end of all of it, but suddenly way more angry about everything. Hmm, interesting. And I am leaving that, that retreat coming home so thankful to be in a church that I have sensed through the work of this book on our hearts and souls is aligning us around one mission. And I am deeply thankful for that. We have to eliminate all competing missions. Salvation in no one else, no other name. Joy found in Jesus. Hope found in Jesus. Love found in Jesus. Our future secured in that name. Purpose found in Jesus. Life found in Jesus. Now and for eternity, no one else, no other name. And I don't know about you, but I'm really satisfied there. I'm really satisfied there. The mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Our only mission that truly satisfies the needs and the longings of the human heart is the simplicity of the gospel. And church, I'm staying here. And our leadership is staying here. And I really hope that you stay here with us. Eliminate all competing missions. God's mission requires everything Christ offers and everything I have to give. That's the second one. Here's the third one. Extend the gospel to everyone, everywhere, every day. When, when, when you are at this place where, and you see this really naturally in the book of Acts, when you've enveloped your life in the person and work of Christ, and you've brought your life fully underneath uh, his uh, salvation, his name, and then you look out at all of these things that you could chase after with your life, and you're like, you know, no, 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 I'm gonna go after one mission <clears throat> to make much of Jesus. What naturally flows out of that is a desire to extend this gospel to everyone, everywhere, every day. We've said this in our church in a different way when we've said one of the things we love and want to be about in our church is to make Christ famous to, to everyone everywhere every day and uh, this is just a uh, another way to illustrate this theme this theme is seen everywhere in the book of Acts remember back to chapter 1 verse 8 you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
For what purpose? For what purpose? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In this proclamation in Acts 1.8, it was not fulfilled and not in the 28 chapters of Acts. There was a very limited area of our world that um, there were witnesses to in that time. But now God still has his church in what many could call Acts 29, that the gospel is now being extended through the church still to the end of the earth. We're called to be witnesses, to extend it. Then in uh, chapter 2, verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that, we all are witnesses again. Then uh, chapter 5, verse 42, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Are you seeing it, church? Are you seeing what we're called to extend? This, this continued throughout the book of Acts in a variety of different modes. Let me just, I want you to see them in, in total. Look at these up on the screen. Acts 8.35 told him. Acts 10.36, preaching Acts 17.3, explaining, proving, proclaiming. You've got in Acts 18.28, powerfully refuted and showing. 20.21, testifying. 28.23, expounded, trying to convince. This are all modes of how God wants us and is calling the church to extend the gospel to everyone, everywhere, every day. This is what we are called to, all to communicate one message. You see the simplicity that God's been doing through the book of Acts. He's been sort of honing our focus in into one spot, and it's one name, one person, one mission, one message. And that message in so many different facets is the message of the gospel, and if you I don't know it this morning. There are five words we love to mention when we talk about the gospel. The first one is God. That God is a merciful God, that he is over all of it, that he was before time and uh, his, his love is towards us, his mercy is towards us. And then sin came into the world and we screwed it up and now we live in a broken world, in a broken body longing for salvation and redemption and reconciliation out of that sin. And so into that, thirdly, is substitution that God in his perfect foreknowledge and definite plan sent Jesus Christ into the world and his son died on the cross for our sins and because of that substitutionary atonement, we, through faith in Christ, can believe in Jesus and receive his forgiveness as our own. And we can be made righteous by that, the blood of Christ. And because Jesus resurrected from the dead, we can also walk in his victory, and that leads to life. So it's God, and then sin, and then substitution, and then believe, and then life. Life now and life for eternity. This is what we're extending. This is our message. And, and, and what I have watched in a really beautiful way 
is I've watched as this series has gone that I've had more conversations in the last three or four months with people in our church going, man, I've, we've, we've got to start telling more people about Jesus. We, we wanna go um, find ways to connect with people in our community so that we can share Christ or, or, or hey, pray for me. I've got an opportunity to share Christ with a coworker or there's a family member that there's, a, there's some brokenness in their life and I, and I think there might be an opportunity to share the gospel. Would you pray for me? And I've just seen this start to raise to the surface in our church as God has sort of shaken us and, 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 and gotten our eyes rightly on the, the one name and the one mission and the one message. It's the beauty of simplicity. It reduces the options of other things we could chase after. And what I've seen is, is I've seen, um, even in my own life, a greater sense of our call to extend the gospel. Whatever is necessary, and the staff and elders um, have, have really been convinced of this emphasis. There's been conversations that so many of us have had with so many people in our church. And um, so I want to share with you that out of this, to really uh, personally uh, serve us and lead us, um, we're going to start a series starting on November 21st, leading right through Christmas, uh, called this, this, is a picture of uh, the thing. It's going to be called Sharing Christmas. And what we're going to do in these uh, five weeks is, the first week we're going to talk about what does the Bible teach us about sharing our faith? How can I individually be more equipped to share my faith with other people? And then the four weeks following that, um, we're going to take each one of the Advent words. You remember them? Joy and love and peace and hope. And we're going to take one key verse, one or two key verses that we believe are some of the best passages on those individual words. And each week, we're going to put that in front of you. We're going to teach you how to use that passage in sharing Christ with people how to see that those words can be ways to connect with people right where they're at and to display the hope of the gospel and to share Christmas because I don't know about you, but more than just celebrating Christmas, I wanna share Christmas with people. And we're gonna do this because we want to continue um, to train in this subject of extending the gospel to everyone everywhere every day. This would be a phenomenal time in the midst of a year to uh, see uh, our people, each one of you, ask God, who could I invite to church during this season? Knowing that we're going to be preaching the, the, the gospel from a few different vantage points each and every week. And I'm praying and asking that there would be hundreds of conversations about Jesus through our lives, through our lives collectively. And really, really excited for that. And uh, we're going to teach and train you in that because we're called to do more than celebrate Christmas. We're called to share Christmas. And so just pray. Pray for us as we um, go into that series. Pray that God would lead us, that God would give us grace. I'm already praying that God would open up doors that would be unmistakable opportunities for you and me to share Christ with people. And so that's what we're going after coming out of this series 
um, for you guys individually and for us as a church. And I'm gonna share more about this next week as we look at some of the lessons God's teaching our church. But for today, I wanna challenge you. Start to wrestle with this yourself individually. Extend the gospel to everyone, everywhere, every day. Is that our aim? God's mission requires everything Christ offers and everything I have to give. Then this last one, final theme without question, endure opposition. Endure opposition. I saved the most obvious one for last this morning because um, this one has just come again and again and again. Uh, 23 of the 28 chapters of Acts mention some level of opposition to the message of the gospel. It's expected. Let me just review quickly with you. Just get a sense of this quickly. It starts in chapter four, they pray for boldness. Chapter five, they're arrested, the the apostles are arrested and then freed. You're like, oh man, is it gonna stop? 542, did not cease teaching and preaching. Chapter six, Stephen seized. He proclaims the gospel and he's stoned to death in chapter seven. Chapter eight, Saul ravages the church. Chapter nine, the Jews plot to kill Paul, but he escapes. Chapter 11, the church is scattered because of persecution. Chapter 12, James is killed and Peter's imprisoned. Chapter 13, persecution is stirred up against Paul and Barnabas because no one's exempt. Chapter 14, Paul nearly stoned to death. Chapter 16, Paul and Silas in prison and attempted lynching in chapter 17. Paul reviled in chapter 18. A riot started in Ephesus in chapter 19. Are you exhausted yet? Paul escapes a plot to kill him in chapter 20. Paul's arrested in Jerusalem in chapter 21, and he's kept under house arrest through the rest of Acts. And you're just like, There's no resolution to the opposition. No resolution expected, not this side of heaven. Because it's the last days, they were aware of it. The opposition to the gospel is going to be fierce. The enemy is relentless in his opposition to the gospel. Living boldly for the name of Jesus, doing the things that I've just shared, both in enveloping and in no competing missions and in extending the gospel, is a risk. Let me just warn you. Acts should come with a warning label before you ever open it. Beware to follow what you see in here, to follow the example of the early church is a risk to your health. But we must endure opposition. And as I was thinking about the wholeness of of Luke's writings, both in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, I couldn't help. I couldn't help. But, but picturing Luke as he's documenting the suffering, I couldn't help but wonder if at times as he was documenting it, that a smile didn't come across his face as he reflected back on the words of Jesus in Luke chapter six. Look with me on the screen. Luke wrote these words. He, he, he wrote them down from the mouth of Jesus when Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you And when they exclude you, that's going to be the cost for some who want to share Christmas with others and revile you and spurn your name as evil 
on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. This is, this is such a, a, a clear reality of, of what Jesus said. Keep that, go back, keep that one up on the screen. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and revile you. Just keep that up for a moment before we go to the next passage. So, so here's the question, where is the reward? Where does it come? Not in this life. Not in this life. It comes in the next. Vindication will come there. Blessing will come there. For now, for now, we are called to endure opposition. Um, this journey through the book of Acts um, has really paralleled a work that God's been doing in my own heart. Um, I've talked about it at different times in our church, and I believe um, I see and hear God doing the same work in many of us. This, this book has massively challenged um, and changed my perspective on how God wants his people to endure opposition. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a challenger. If you follow that Enneagram thing, I am an eight. Just a challenger. I I'm a fierce competitor. If I'm playing a game, I want to win. Uh, I also want to win every argument I engage in, which has probably caused me way more pain than success. Here's the problem. Throughout this book and, and throughout understanding the character of what Jesus calls his people to do in the midst of opposition, I've seen more clearly than ever that the fight to win path, the fight to win path, the idea that, that, that what I'm called to is to, um, is to put on the gloves and go to war. Um, this this, this uh, little bag glove I have even says fight for it on the inside, just to reinforce the point even more, that, that this has been the idea that, uh, that, that has come so often in our world and unfortunately in the church. And, and, and I've seen more clearly than ever that this fight to win path leads to these sort of things. It leads to paranoia. It leads to fear. It leads to a hypervigilance in the midst of opposition. It leads to defensiveness because you wear the gloves all the time. And your brain is on alert and your heart rate is elevated and your responses are quick and harsh. In any moment you have, you could take a jab, you're going to take it. And you're on edge. And anxiety is common in this, obviously. And rest is difficult. And this, again and again throughout the book of Acts, I sense, is not the way God wants us to live in the midst of opposition. In the midst of this, with, with, with the posture of defensiveness and ready to, 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 to fight to win, it's been easy inside and outside the church for us to make excuses for anger and impatience because everything's a fight and it's distracting and it steals your joy and it leaves you exhausted. And my life at times has been a testimony of that truth. 
And the fact is that then in the midst of that, I just see again and again that the enemy is just wanting to rip the church into shreds. Every issue over the past year, parallel with this series, the virus, the pandemic, vaccines, critical race theory, politics, economic policy, the list could go on. Any chance we seem to get often in the church, we just want to take a jab on social media. I'm right, I'm right. And we see the opposition coming and we're like, we're like leaning forward and then we wonder on the backside of it why we can't rest in Christ. Why our anxiety seems so high, why there seems to be a, a prevalence of argumentativeness and divisiveness. We punch when we can, we, we're on edge and it's constant and it's sick. There's something wrong with us. The fight to win posture is wrecking our souls and it's stealing our joy and too many are moving to this extreme, gloves on, ready to fight and win. And in the midst of this, this um, book of Acts and our time in it, I've seen again and again that in the midst of enduring opposition, there's been something calling through it. It's a path marked by sober-mindedness. Those are qualities in the Bible. They're actually qualities for elders or anyone who would lead in the church. It's a steady march forward to proclaim one message while the opposition continues to come. Still, there is a weight and a sorrow to the opposition, but it leads to humility and prayer, not anger and quarrels. Instead of jumping into an argument, instead what I have seen in the book of Acts as I've watched them enter into these places where they knew that they were going to face opposition was actually not a move to fight to win but a move to do whatever was necessary apart from, uh, apart from not speaking the gospel, anything possible to maintain unity. Looking to lay down differences on peripheral issues so that nothing distracts from the glory of the gospel. As I processed what I saw clearly, that the gospel path, the path of Jesus, is not fight to win, but it's fight to die. It's not fight to win, but it's fight to die. And into this environment, I believe that God's calling forth a remnant, a remnant marked by a deep abiding passion for Jesus to love God and love others sincerely, marked, marked by a genuine love for God and others. A remnant who expects opposition. A remnant who is ready to take blows only for the advance of the gospel. But they're not swinging back, they're loving back. They're, they're listening to what Jesus said when he said, love your enemies. Not fighting to win, but fighting to die. Not holding gloves, but holding the cross in front of them and before them and around them. Not trying to blow up every bridge, but looking to build bridges. Not looking for opposition, but looking for opportunity. Opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus crucified and resurrected. Hold the cross, fight to die. It's here in 2 Timothy 2, 22 through 26, in this next passage. 
Look what it says. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps, God, not my, not my argumentativeness, not my defensiveness, not my I'm so convinced of my rightness, but God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is how we're called to live and endure opposition. By not holding a glove, but holding the cross. By not fighting for, fighting to win, but instead fighting to die. And I'm not there yet. And I feel a long way off in so many areas of my life. But I know that this was the theme again and again and again that was seen in the book of Acts. Not fighting to win, but fighting to die. Willing to give up everything for the mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Envelop your entire life in the person and work of Christ. Eliminate all competing missions. Extend the gospel to everyone, everywhere, every day, and endure opposition. And so, what we're going to do now is come to the communion table. And in communion is where we remember that everything that Christ offers is what we need for what we've been called to. In communion, we remember the call to give our entire life, to lay down all competing missions, to take up the gospel to share, and to find strength to endure opposition. Christ is our example. Deity enveloped in humanity. One mission inviting all to join the inbreaking kingdom of God through the sacrifice on the cross, endure opposition with sober-mindedness, with grace, with peace, and the joy that Christ set before him in going to the cross. So as the communion elements are passed, just take hold of them. And we're going to take them together in just a few moments and take this time just to remember that Christ has given you everything you need to do what I've just talked about from these themes in the book of Acts. Return back to this right path. Lay down your gloves and take up the cross. Thank him for his example and commune with your Savior. And if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, please let the the, the tray pass and just consider what Christ has offered to you in the gospel. Take this time to remember as the band sings over us. Let's do that now.